Empire. Importing a fight game. So there is this fine line in this new age of, of MMA between the the purists of the tradition versus um, you know the way that things uh, would move, kind of like the Bruce Lee mentality, like be what be like water, and you need to adapt to whatever container it is that you're putting into. That's Rich Franklin, vice president of One Championship, is hoping their popular series in Asia will be a hit in the U.S. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Rich Franklin is a former MMA champion himself. He's been associated with one championship for some time now. But recently, that popular series made its U.S. debut on TNT. And it's a crowded space here. But equally as important is understanding the different tastes of fans globally. To compete for eyeballs, Sometimes you got to give them what they want. Our guest this week is the One Championship Vice President, the CEO of the One Warrior Series, and a former multiple-time mixed martial arts world champion, Rich Franklin, who normally, without a pandemic, might be joining us from halfway across the globe in Singapore, but is back stateside because of health issues. Thank you so much for being here, Rich. Oh, it's good to be here. Um, listen, I, I know you're back stateside, and, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but what is happening in Malaysia with the pandemic? Can you kind of tell us what's happening in Asia right now? Well, uh, so one championship based in Singapore, which is where I spend most of my time. The border between Singapore and Malaysia has been shut down ever since, uh, ever since the lockdowns last year when things kicked in. So I actually know a lot of people, a lot of the migrant workers there, the, the gentleman that cuts my hair, for example, my barber, uh, they haven't been home. A lot of these people haven't been home to see their family in, in Malaysia. I know that there's been a the, the 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 uptick of cases in Malaysia and the number of deaths is tremendous. But Singapore actually has the thing under really good control. But they're very strict about the way that they they handle things. The moment that they had even the slightest increase in cases, and by slightest I mean less than 100 cases, they immediately uh, went into their COVID protocols, took a step back on things, uh, and uh, and you know making sure that they're they're minimizing as much damage as possible with uh, COVID. So they uh, they went back into a semi-lockdown state uh, before I left, which has made travel back and forth between countries quite difficult. Yeah. Uh, so you're back here, um, and I want to talk about your background a little bit. But first, why don't you introduce everybody to one championship, which really had a coming out in April when there was a four-week series that profiled the league on TNT. Can you tell everybody a little bit about one championship? Yeah, I mean, it, it, I would introduce our company different ways depending on who I'm speaking to. So I'll speak to the, the fan who may not have heard of One Championship on this side of the planet. But One Championship, we, uh, we're a company based in Singapore, and we've been operating in Southeast Asia. We're the largest global sports media property uh, that has come out of Asia. And, uh, you know, we, we have several arms of the company, but just focusing on MMA because that's obviously where my background is. Uh, we, we don't just do MMA matches or MMA fights. We also uh, have our super series. We hold grappling matches, Muay Thai matches, kickboxing matches, and we do cards that are integrated with multiple martial arts. Uh, you know, it's the thing with the championship that really kind of drew me in is the, the way that we, we kind of tell the stories about the athletes. Um, 
you know, I'm looking at athletes and I think about what I did as an athlete and where I came from. was a Midwestern kid, grew up, uh, studied education, became a high school teacher. And then, you know, I kind of broke these norms as an athlete and being a guy who wasn't just uh, tatted up and fighting in bars because that was the, the stereotype that um, everybody thought would, would, would be an MMA fighter back when I was competing. And, uh, and so, you know, I took a completely different approach to this as an athlete. And that's one of the things that really attracted me to one championship when I retired and began working on the business side of things is that the way that they talk about the martial arts values and things that those embody in the athletes that we have. Uh, interestingly enough, I was telling a story yesterday about one of our athletes. Um, he was, he was our middleweight champion, also our light, light, light heavyweight champion. He recently lost his belt to the same guy, but unlocked. And song. He's a uh, Burmese athlete, and um, the people of Myanmar, they just absolutely love this guy. And I remember going to one of his Ken Hasegawa in Yangon, and you, you talk about an arena, of smaller arena, 10,000 people. It's the largest arena they have in Myanmar. And they make noise that's more deafening than the Super Bowl for oh. their, their local heroes. But him and Ken, they had this this match between the two of them and it was an all-out war and then the following morning the two of them were sitting there having breakfast and posted on on social media like with their arms around each other <laughs> having breakfast the next day not something that was prompted by the organization not some sort of uh you know like publicity stunt to say hey whatever it's like our athletes truly live out these values and uh and that's that's one of the things that i, that I do love about our organization on top of that you know we have i mean from a competitive standpoint or an entertainment standpoint, if I was talking to fans, like if you haven't seen a one championship show, it's kind of like, I mean, especially prior to COVID before the, uh, the venues were empty and whatnot, it's like a rock concert meets, meets fight night, essentially. I mean, we have these amazing entertainment value, these awesome walkouts. We have this huge backdrop, customized walkouts for every athlete that walks out, a uh, nice rampway platform that they come out on. And it's just the energy, the music, the, the atmosphere, if you're there live, uh, and then the, the talent that we have, these guys, like, we have some amazing athletes on roster and in the organization, we have high finishing rates and it's just typically a car top to bottom stacked, uh, full of excitement, man. So, so it's an amazing product. And we came out, uh, in April, did four back to back weeks in TNT, uh, very successful for, for the company, for us. It was our first true foray in the U S. Uh, obviously like any other company, we, we made some mistakes, learned some things from it, but at the same time, we were quite pleased with, uh, how we performed, man. So, you know, we're now I'm in the U S and I'm teasing, we're teasing the idea of actually breaking ground and going to show at, on us. So talk to me a little bit about presentation. Um, I've been to Thailand years ago. I attended a Muay Thai boxing event. There's a lot of tradition, um, that goes along with the presentation of it. You're describing one as having almost like a rock concert feel, feels very UFC, and I'll ask you about some some similarities and differences there. But um, I, I imagine tradition with competition and, and your and the expression of how the fighters treat one another matters in, in Asia. As you try to globalize this and present it to multiple different audiences around the globe, how do you think through um, tradition and presentation meshing together? Yeah, you know, anytime you're doing tradition and presentation, obviously, like if you've been to a match, a Muay Thai match, Brad, where where did you uh, go to a match in uh, Thailand? What uh, stadium did you attend? I don't remember the stadium. It took place in Bangkok, so I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember the venue I was in. 
Yeah, because I, I watched. I remember going to Lumpini Stadium my first time, which is kind of their Super Bowl of, of uh, Muay Thai there. I've, I've also been to several smaller stadiums. I've been to Roger Goodman Stadium, which is another big stadium. And the old Lumpini Stadium, they rebuilt it now, but the old one just had this, like, I don't know, this nostalgic feel to it, dirt floors and and uh, the guys that are playing the, the instruments and the instruments that speed up during the match. Like, it's just something like something that I watched in a movie as a kid. And I remember being there and thinking back to my childhood and thinking, one day I want to be able to go and do something like that. And there is a lot of tradition, uh, particularly with arts like Muay Thai, um, you know, and then, you know, you go to different arts in different countries like Silat, Wushu, and all these, uh, particularly um, with uh, even even other arts like, like su- Sumo is a big one that is, is steeped in tradition. Yeah. Uh, when I was r- running the World War Series, we did one of the episodes where we traveled to uh, Tokyo. And uh, we visited uh, one of the sumo schools there and just learned about all the tradition, about how they live, uh, the traditions of actual competition and all that kind of stuff. And so there is this fine line in this new age of, of MMA between the the purists of the tradition versus, um, you know, the way that things uh, would move, kind of like the Bruce Lee mentality, like be, be like water and you need to adapt to whatever container it is that you're fitting into. And, uh, and that was his, his mental philosophy with martial arts, like use what works and eliminate what doesn't. And so I think when you talk about the purest martial artist, like you're never going to be able to satiate. You can't satiate everybody. I always tell people like, and Jesus only had 12 friends and, and one of them was a hater. Um, so <laughs> you, you, know, you, know, you, you won't be able to satiate everybody, but we do a really good job, particularly you'll see a lot of our, when, we, when we're holding our Super Series matches, our, our kickboxing or Muay Thai matches, You'll see a lot of the traditional, um, the, the traditional aspects of Muay Thai. Like when they're coming out, they have the rituals with the Hong Kong, um, you know. And uh, and we and we hold to some of these traditions, and we keep the Muay Thai uh, competition as pure as possible, uh, while simultaneously the mixed martial arts aspect and uh, kind of what modern day or the future of competition is for for a lot of people. And so I think there's a good blend between these two things that satiates the, the local populations as well as the, uh, the global population. But on top of that, um, it's those, those values that you learn from, from those martial arts. Uh, when you see, <laughs> when you see two guys just, um, like just, you know, punching and, and kicking on each other and for 15 minutes straight and then once the final bell rings, they just look at each other and they're kind of bowing on their knees to, to each other and hugging and stuff like that. It's, uh, it's, it's quite a sight to see the amount of respect. And these are obviously values that you learn from the traditional aspect of a lot of martial arts. In the bouts for one championship, is it open to all disciplines or do you put some restrictions on what the fighters can use? No, I mean, well, we have, so we operate by uh, a rule set, the global rule set that we operate by, which is very similar. I mean, if you're watching a match, like it's not much different than the unified rules from just first glance. I would say uh, there are some, some slight performance rule differences. The biggest difference for us comes in the way that we judge matches because we judge a match in, in its entirety. We don't judge on a 10-point must system round by round. So we look at the whole fight as one round, and, and basically one athlete gets a 10 and another one gets a 9. And from an, a performance or from a competition point of view, I myself, I would actually prefer this way because – uh, you can't end up doing things like quote unquote stealing around or something like that. Um, but uh, it, yeah, I mean, it's uh, 
Graham, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of tangent off here. What was the original question you asked? Just the, the, how open is one championship to allowing oh, yeah. any and all disciplines? Yeah, I mean, anybody. So with that in mind, in the rule set, the judging criteria, I mean, if you're a purist in Taekwondo and you want to compete, by all means you can. But you find that, that people in this modern day realize that they're limited. I mean, for example, I personally would not step into a boxing ring with a top 10 boxer and think that just limiting to myself to my hands that I would be able to compete uh, at a top level like that. And so there is a, a realism to that. But we, we haven't to this point in time done fights like Taekwondo versus Karate right. or any of those traditional, which I would as a fan personally be interested in watching. But, um, but yeah, I mean, as far as mixed martial arts is concerned, yeah, we do have athletes that have a strong background in an art like Silat or a strong background in a wrestling art like Kushi out of India. And, and, uh, and then, of course, they branch out from there because in a mixed martial arts competition, I mean, you know, that you're only as strong as your weakest link, right? And, um, and so if you're an amazing striker and be it your background starts in an art like Taekwondo or Wushu or whatever it may be, uh, eventually, if you get taken down, that's going to going to cost you. Now, I will say this: we have had. A, I would say that the Muay Thai athletes in one championship have had the best uh, conversion rate as far as like purists that decide they want to do mixed martial arts because in Muay Thai, there's a natural takedown defense that's built into that art just from the clinch work that they do. So, um, you know, I, I have seen quite a few just purist Muay Thai athletes become quite successful, but you know, there are other countries in Southeast Asia that have similar arts to Muay Thai, whether you're going, um, you know, left way or, you know, Kukumir boxing or something like that. They, all these arts end up being very similar with the clinch style work that they do and, and uh, natural takedown defense that comes with it. Coming off of what happened with TNT and, and as you look to the future and breaking through in the Western media markets, um, obviously, it's a very crowded space. UFC has really a, a stronghold um, in mixed martial arts in terms of engagement. Um, how do you look to compete in these markets to build the brand of one championship? Well, I think it, it's, it's about product differentiation. Um, that's, that's a couple different ways. J- just, you know, not necessarily in order of importance, but some of the things that we introduced to the U.S. market. Uh, when we had uh, Raw Tank, um, one of our one of our top Muay Thai athletes, and we introduced the sport of Muay Thai and four ounce gloves in the actual MMA style gloves. That's how that's how, how we do um, Muay Thai and one championship. And I mean, if I was to rename that sport, I would I would jokingly name it. We 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 talked about this, and we've actually said this on air. It's like mixed martial arts without the takedowns. Um, you know, so all the striking and clinching that you want to see, but minus the takedowns. So. You know, there's a differentiation in the product through uh, the sports that we offer, seeing high-level um, Muay Thai and kickboxing. Um, but I think that another thing, Mark, is what we've seen is, as, as you've seen some of the athletes who have crossed over from the UFC into one championship, for example, I think that seeing the performance of, of these athletes, particularly at the top level, has really kind of turned a lot of fans our direction, saying, hey, wait a minute, the, you know, the, the athletes that they have in um in one championship are legit athletes and you can see it in our ratings obviously we stack the card with athletes that are well known in the u.s like eddie alvarez and, yeah. and demetrius johnson but our, our viewership didn't drop off when those guys were competing you know people were sticking around to see who else was on the card and and they were able to maintain the ratings and so that that was really good news for us and obviously i think the, the way that we do our show with um you know the rock concert style that i was talking about 
is a differentiating factor from uh, an entertainment aspect. And then, obviously, I think with the uh, – I, I believe that our, our judging criteria and our rule set is one of the reasons that we have, like, a very a very high finishing rate in one championship. Our finishing rate – I haven't seen the latest stats, but, you know, somewhere around uh, 70 75% or something like that for, for our matches. Yeah. And, um, and so on, one of the biggest reasons for that from a competitive standpoint – that we have is like our hydration protocols. I believe that our athletes are able to perform at a better level because we're fully hydrated while they're competing. And so, in my opinion, um, right here, 61%, I was scrolling down, like, let me see what this actual stat is. 60, 61% of our finishes occur in the first round. Um, so, yeah, it's like we have this high finishing rate because our athletes can perform at a level that they would perform when they are, um, when they're just training. They're not dehydrating themselves, sucking themselves dry. And from that, your performance uh, costs. And I think that you can see the difference in the product in that performance. And so the combination of several factors like that is, is going to make us different from any other player in the market. Uh, let me ask you about engagement. And this is window dressing. But I think you know, as someone who fought and fought in this country, how much the window dressing matters in terms of engagement as you build a media brand. Um, I totally appreciate the tradition, the respect, all of that stuff that you described that happens with the fighters, specifically in Asia. Here, as you know, whether it's organic or manufactured, conflict sells. So how do you got it, how do you kind of view engaging with audiences, kind of knowing that whether it's real or somewhat manufactured, there has to be some level of conflict attached to it? Yeah, I mean, look, I think as an organization, we, we kind of understand that the, that, I mean, I'll say this to you, Bram, if you were to travel to any other country in the world and watch a soap opera, for example, I don't care if you're in South America, if you're in Asia, if you're in Europe, if you're in, if you're in North America, like you're going to watch a, a soap opera and there are going to be husbands cheating on wives and wives cheating on husbands and <laughs> Yeah. Did this guy get shot? And is he really alive? Because people just naturally like conflict. Like they gravitate towards those kinds of things. And so um, when it comes to martial arts within the, the Asian territory, we've, obviously we've, we've really leaned and relied on these, uh, these values. But you are right. Conflict sells. And as an organization, we realize that particularly as we expand in the U.S. and that's something that we will – you know, we want to capitalize on. I don't think that as an organization, we don't really want to cap- capitalize on anything that's manufactured. Um, but I- I've always said this, you know, who is Batman without the Joker, right? That's right. You know, if you don't have any crime to fight, then, then what, what point is there? And I do believe, I'm a firm believer, and my career is an example of this, I'm a firm believer that you can have conflict and not necessarily have the kind of... Um, pageantry that you see sometimes with uh with today's matches so to speak. you know it doesn't have to be quite quite that bad um and you know there is a way to uh to trash talk and create all that drama and so you know that's uh the, the company realizes that so i think that as you see us expanding in the u.s you're going to see these storylines develop even even deeper with our athletes yeah i mean I, i'm just I, this is coming off of when we're taping this the Floyd Mayweather, Logan Paul thing just happened. And that is, yeah. I don't know what your viewpoint is, but it, it's a stunt to me. But boy, it worked at the box office. I mean, there are very few things that have happened that have that kind of payoff 
And it's all because of manufactured conflict between these two parties. And so, I, yeah. I mean, I think it's just very telling about what audiences yeah, say, do want. I agree with you. And I'll say this, man, like just on, on the Floyd and, and uh, Logan Paul match, like I really didn't um, I really didn't care much about the conflict that they had created between those two. But I was personally vested in the Ben Askren and Jake Paul match. Now, I asked myself this. Was it because I know Ben Askren on a personal level? Yeah, maybe that's a little bit of it. But they also, when I was watching their press conferences and the trash talking that they did, they did a, a really good job. And I don't, I, when I look at what happened with Mayweather and Logan Paul, I don't think they needed as much of that because yeah. the stage was already set with Jake and Ben. And any of the, the millennials and millennials that follow those guys were just ready to jump on. Like it only took uh, you know a couple posts back and forth and one press conference of them just talking a little bit of trash, and uh, and the deal was done. And I think that that's you know after immediately after the uh, the Jake Paul and um, Ben Askren match, you know we, when you look at that product, like by standards of product, it wasn't amazing an amazing product like the production value and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, they had some great talent there, but. It, when, when you look at like classically like fight products, I wouldn't I wouldn't put that as like man that was a well produced product, but it resonated with the with the younger crowds with the, the YouTube followers of these social influencers. And so when we were talking about these things back in uh, office, you know initially like we're kind of breaking this down as the quality of the product. And you know I'm, I remember sitting at me on the like, guys you know you can break this down all you want, but this resonates with people. Um, and then you can tell from the papers you buy. So, you know, obviously there are lessons to be learned. From. Yeah, that is for sure. All right. Last thing for you. Um, we, we do focus a lot here on sports tech. So I am curious how you guys are utilizing and thinking through technology as you put on all of these belts around the world. Like our 3D shooting style with the cameras that we've used, technology on that kind of on that side. I don't know if you've ever seen any of the Oculus footage that we've we've done. That's cool. Um, so um, actually, I remember the first time that I put those Oculus goggles on. So we would shoot with these uh, the 3D cameras at, at times, and um, and so essentially, like wherever the camera is placed, you can sit and you you put your Oculus unit on, like you know your it's a, your your cell phone will fit into this thing, and wherever the camera is in the in the uh, the arena, it's as if you're sitting in that position, and you can look around the whole arena. You can, if you're like, if you're wearing this Oculus, you can look up at the ceiling and see the lights above you. You can, you know, you can, uh, you know, look around the pole and and and, and you know, spin around and and different angles and, and turn around and see the crowd behind you. It's 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 insane. Like you, you know, you, it's the closest thing to being in the fight without actually being at the fight. It's really cool. I'll have to check that out. Rich Franklin is the One Championship Vice President, the CEO of the One Warrior Series. Thank you so much for taking the time, Rich. Hey, man, I appreciate chatting with you, man. Have a good time. On the next Future Sport Podcast, NFTs have taken off and everyone is trying to squeeze into this hot market. It's the opportunity to, to, re- to own these kind of rare digital art editions, but, but with inspirational unlockable content as well. So, And, and I think our... USP brand is that we're not we're not just um, interested in, in the art side as well, really. Um, I think our our USP really is that we want to get up close and personal with, with these athletes and actually film with them one on one as well to create this um, very kind of immersive, high quality content. That's Alexi Yovanov, co-founder of Sports Icon, where we will discuss the nascent space, how to deal with rights 
and whether they're in a bubble. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein.